Welcome to Pilot Boys episode 111. Today we have a college football sprint cracking down on some of these coaching changes and some of the bowl games we have coming up. The college football rankings are out. And for our deep dive today, we're actually going to have a nice conversation with the real Abhinav to talk about a whole bunch of things around self-improvement and and so on and so forth. So stay tuned for that. You're going to enjoy it. Welcome to the Pilot Boys Podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. And here are your hosts, Vishwant and Partha. It's time again for another college football sprint with Coach Zach Smith. Crazy week, even though uh, not a great week for Ohio State fans. Very eventful week in college football. A lot of crazy games. College football playoff was decided, and a star quarterback is on the move. Um, we'll get into all of that and more, but first, let's start with the weekend's game, Zach. Team, you've been um, beating the drum for all season. Uh, Oklahoma State came within like that Inches. much. So close. An inch, right? Like, it was an literally, inch. Literally an inch. That game of inches, Bryce, has never been more true. There's no doubt. And I think what's crazy is, you, you know, Matt Rule obviously built, you know, built a foundation at Baylor that that was pretty solid. But I think what Dave Aranda's done there, I mean, he's he's going to be one of the hottest names in coaching the next couple of years, uh, if not this year. Shoot, I guess Oregon just came open. But he did an outstanding job. Baylor just improved every week. And, and Oklahoma State had their chance, man. The guy just couldn't couldn't reach it for, far enough. <laughs> Yeah, they had a couple chances, right? They did. Well, and honestly, the Oklahoma State offensive coordinator should be fired. I mean, it was just atrocious. The play calls all day were atrocious. And Spencer Sanders looked like he was – I mean, he he certainly bet Baylor money line. I mean, he had four interceptions. Then they have an exchange issue on the goal line. He just drops the ball. I mean, he he played the worst game I've seen a quarterback play maybe ever. Yeah, it was really unfortunate. But the honest truth is we we have to talk about the game, the other game here, which is – uh, Georgia reminding us of why they are Georgia once again <laughs> no against Alabama and, and Nick Saban's continued ownership of every assistant that's ever coached. <laughs> rent free, living rent free over there. <laughs> it was unbelievable. I mean, I think Nick Saban, obviously, we all know he's probably the greatest of all time. He's a certain, like a certain Hall of Famer, but but just his ability to take a team that's not quite there yet. And, and I mean, this Bama team is not the Bama team that we've seen in the past, but to have them peak and and play so well when it matters, right? Right at the end. And, and we'll see how they carry it into the postseason. But I mean, just, just as, as little as last week, I mean, last Saturday they played Auburn and looked, they looked horrible. Yeah. And I mean, he, they've been like that all year. So inconsistent. So I just don't know if they have the consistency to make the run necessary to win it all, but you got to give credit where credit's due. That was an unbelievable performance in all facets of the game. Bryce Young looked amazing. Jamison Williams locked up the Blitnikoff. And, and Georgia just got, I mean, they got outgunned uh, by a team that really hadn't outgunned anybody all year. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I watched it with some Georgia fans. So, you know, it was, it was a, an enjoyable vibe, to say the least, as a Georgia Tech fan. But uh, it was, I mean, so interesting to see a team that, you know, the the criticism I heard from the fan side was, oh, like, why don't they switch the quarterback? Why don't they switch the quarterback? Because they're on the third string or whatever. And, you know, I, I didn't think that their offense was was that bad against Alabama. Like putting up, I think they were at 28 by the end of the third quarter. They didn't really score in the fourth. 
but it wasn't it wasn't out of the realm of what I thought the offense would do. But to let Bama put up 38 on the supposed number one defense in the country to me just showed me that the defensive side of the ball just didn't show up. And you know, I'm not I'm not super into the X's and O's here, so I can't necessarily explain why. But it felt like watching Ohio State's defense, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, it was it was uh, it was just a down game for them. And I mean, Alabama, Jameson Williams is just that good. Um, I've always felt like Georgia's back end was a little, I wouldn't say suspect. I mean, they're really good, but Darion Kendrick started at Clemson last year and we watched what Chris Olave did to him and mm-hmm. Jameson Williams. I mean, Jameson Williams scored last year against Clemson. So um, I, their, their secondary is a really good secondary. The, their strength was really in their front seven, but Alabama did exactly what I, I thought they would do. And that was take, take notes from Tennessee. When Hendon Hooker and Tennessee marched down the field the first drive of the game and really, I mean, they were the first team that made Georgia's defense look human. And they went tempo. The quarterback ran around a lot. They bunched their receivers. They, they stacked them. They, they created uh, space in man coverage. And they did a great job. They just didn't have the guys. I mean, the Tennessee's mm-hmm. not talented enough to beat that team, but their plan was, was excellent. And so Alabama took, took a page from that. And they, they went tempo. Uh, Bryce Young was running around like crazy, not not necessarily for yards, but he was scrambling to make plays, to make throws, and then they were getting their receivers and stacks and getting Jamison Williams loose, and they did a great job attacking that defense, and I think that's the plan to beat Georgia, and uh, so it, they, they did it perfectly, and, and it was an excellent game, excellent game plan, very, very well-coached and well-prepared team. I mean, if you, if you look at Georgia and Ohio State, it's like they're the, very similar in the sense that the sense we have from Georgia is eventually they were going to run into an offense that was going to give them a game. And how was their offense going to respond? And with Ohio state, eventually the defense was going to meet a test um, that they needed. (laughs) They needed to, to stand up to. And it seems like that's exactly what happened here. You know, it's, it's Alabama played a, a great game, but Georgia, needed to have some more offensive firepower to keep up and they just did it yeah Yeah, they just didn't and and i like stetson bennett he's a much better player than he was last year i mean he's he i I said before the game he's just a baller like he's not a great thrower he can't make nfl throws but he runs around scrambles gets first down scrambles for touchdowns like he just he just kind of has a little bit of baller to him like swagger on the field but jay the same thing happened last year right where stetson bennett was the starter and no one could really figure out why well he actually Dwan Mathis was then Stetson Bennett came in and they had this transfer from USC who did really well really good things out out west in JT Daniels and finally at the end of last year JT Daniels took over and it looked like a different team then they come in this year JT Daniels is hurt so they have to rely on Stetson Bennett and I think he just didn't screw it up all year and so they just kind of rode that that momentum and rode that quarterback and you sit here and you're like all right now they played a real defense right and a real offense like you said V and they needed better quarterback play to go win the game and they didn't have it. And I don't understand fully, but Kirby's always done that. He's always mismanaged and screwed up the quarterback position. I think they, their best quarterback was on the sideline watching them lose in a duel. And that's a shame. Yeah. That's happened many times for them too. And, you know, watching, watching Alabama, I got to say, I was kind of trying to be a Bryce Young hater all season because, you know, Ohio state allegiance and CJ Stroud, but Man, he strung together a really good game. I was very impressed with his attitude, the way he carried himself. And yeah, the, he, one play that stands out was he was in the pocket. There's um, a bunch up in the end zone. I just saw him point over, and that was where he hit that corner pass. I think it was like the second touchdown Alabama scored near near the beginning of the game. 
um, to I forget the receiver's name, but it was their their like super talented receiver, Matthew, I think, yeah. who got injured. Yep. And, and oh my God, man, like to see the command he had of the field, that that I like I get what you guys were talking about with CJ. Like that's what I, we all want to see from that's a quarterback. You, when you watch that game, you watch two quarterbacks that just you felt like they were they were out there having fun balling out like like you said manage it just controlling everything they were generals on the field and cj when you watch cj he's a drop back passer he doesn't have that energy that moxie that i mean he's got a dopey look on his face all the time like never smiles like it's just those kids were having fun like you watch them you're like damn that's infectious it's not about your completion percentage at quarterback right it doesn't matter if you're the best deep ball passer in the country. It's about how you infect the offense, right? Do you infect the offense with energy and motivation? It's the Michael Jordan effect, right? When Jordan went on the court, everyone played better. Like that's what your quarterback needs to be. And that kid, Bryce Young, my God, how could you not have high energy and be motivated with that kid on the field, the way he plays? Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, this game leads to the transition here into the football playoff. um, And, bringing back uh, topics that we talk about a lot here, right? It was pretty much just assumed, despite Georgia getting beat by 17 points, uh, they had a basically no way that they were going to get put out of the playoff. It would have been interesting if Oklahoma State won, I think. Um, but for them to only drop to the three seed over an undefeated Cincinnati team uh, underlines some bias here because – if, if you look at their schedule, outside of their, the best team they played record-wise now looking in the rear view is, is Kentucky, right, mm-hmm. before, they, before they played Alabama. Yet it was just like, okay, they're in the SEC. doesn't matter that the SEC is down this year. Let's just put them in there. And, and I think that that's kind of what bothered people. I know you don't necessarily want to set the rematch of Alabama-Georgia, but I think it was pretty unfair to an undefeated Cincinnati team that beat the number five team in the country, Notre Dame, to be placed below uh, Georgia in this scenario. For sure. Um, and, and, you know, it's whatever it is, it's biased. I think it's more they didn't want the rematch, even though they'll never admit that. I just think yeah. they, if they want, if they're going to have a rematch, they wanted it in the final game. Yeah. They didn't want to play them back to back. That's, in my opinion, why they did it. Um, but I did see one of my our lead handicappers put out a stat that I don't I don't have it in front of me. But but Notre Dame had a had a much stronger. I think they had the twenty third strongest schedule in the country. Yeah. Georgia had the 49th. Wow. Georgia lost by seventeen to a playoff team, and Notre Dame lost by seven to a playoff team. And so you look at it, and you're like, well, why is Notre Dame not in over Georgia? But and now that being said, if we're being honest, I think Georgia's a far better team than Notre Dame, and that's why they got in. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the seedings, I just took it as, eh, they don't want the matchup. And ultimately, Cincinnati's going to have to beat two really good teams to win a national championship, just as it is everyone. So if those two teams win the semis, then who cares? They were supposed to be in the national championship anyways as the two best teams. Yeah. You know, I, I think the one thing I would have loved to see is, um, it, it, regardless how you do the matchups, I would have loved to see Cincinnati get a little more respect in the rankings, even if they're switching. You know, they're, they're four, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So even if you were to position them, I mean, they're an undefeated team. And if we're really trying to make this about records, like they're saying, then they should be the one seed, you know, and you can restructure your rankings to get the matchups you want below that. But and Michigan's a two loss team. So why are they number two? You know, I know they won the conference and Big Ten was strong, 
But well, they only have one loss. They just oh, have Michigan one State. Loss, one loss. One loss. Sorry, yeah. they were one loss team, but that would have been a nice matchup too. Georgia, Georgia. Um, I mean, Alabama, Michigan. But you yeah. know, it is what yeah. it is. For sure, it is what it is. And I think uh, Cincinnati has the opportunity to prove that. You know, two seasons going two seasons undefeated actually means something. <laughs> so right. hopefully, hopefully, they're able to do that. So uh, is on on that side with Michigan, they they beat the brakes out of Iowa. Um, you know, I think none of us really knew where Iowa was going to be at this point in the season, but does that give us a sense? I like, I found myself not wanting them to win last, last week because of my pain, but as that pain has faded and I spent a week with SEC fans, I now really want all the SEC teams to lose. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm, I'm find myself now rooting for Michigan in this situation, what do we think about their chances? Are they the real deal? Do they really have something put together, or is this just? <laughs> well, listen, they're 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 playing a very similar team to themselves, right? Yeah. I mean, Michigan's offense. Uh, Cade McNamara is a better player than Stetson Bennett. Um, their run game is not quite as dynamic as the as Zeus, Zamir White, and uh, James Cook, uh, uh, and Kenny McIntosh. Really, it's a three headed. Run rushing attack at Georgia, so I mean, but it's a similar offense, right? It's, it's mm -hmm. they run the run the hell out of the ball, um, and they they throw it okay. Um, I think they're going to have both teams are going to have to figure out how to how to throw it because I don't I don't know that they can run the ball in that defense. That front seven is absolutely stacked um, in Georgia's defense, and Michigan's obviously got a good front seven. The other problem is is Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojobu, the two DNs at, at Michigan, they're not great run defenders, right? They're great pass rushers. They really they they wreak havoc in the backfield on quarterbacks. But Georgia doesn't really throw the ball. So like how how impactful is Aiden Hutchinson going to be when they're pounding the ball at Michigan every game? He's going to have to turn into a, a, an elite run defender to have an impact. And what was frustrating watching that Iowa game was we know Iowa's offense isn't very good. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. But if they were decent, right? And their game plan would have worked against Michigan. They were able to run the ball effectively. There were plays that worked on this defense. Michigan's secondary is not very good. They're okay. Um, and so that was what was more frustrating for me watching this game is seeing just how beatable this Michigan team it would have been with the right game plan. Um, and we'll see what happens. But I honestly think the two best teams in the playoffs are the teams that we're going to see in the first round, Alabama and Cincinnati. They've shown it throughout the year on both sides of the ball. And I don't care what conference uh, you say Cincinnati plays and that defense is elite. Yeah, there's no doubt. There's no doubt, but don't, don't, don't make them, don't make a mistake. Now this Georgia team first time tested lost by 17 to, to an Alabama team that in my opinion is, is, is below, you know, past exactly. Alabama teams when it comes to execution offensive. I mean, they, they run the ball decent with Brian Robinson. They, they're just, they're just good. Right, they're yeah. not they're not LSU of 2019. They're not the same team they were last year. I mean, they they're totally different. And I think I think Michigan has a good shot of winning the game uh, against exactly. Georgia. None because of these, it's it's the only team they played, and this Alabama team that's down. None of these teams have been consistent the last several weeks. So yeah. to the point that you made, like we saw Alabama play one way versus Auburn, then a totally different way against Georgia. Who's to say they don't play another game like they did against Auburn against, you know, a Cincinnati and get upset? Like there's a lot of opportunity here to see uh, some some interesting outcomes that I think, you know, that's that to me, that's what's exciting about this is we have no idea what's going to happen. The, th the thing that I, I want to ask you, Zach, and I think I've probably asked you this in different ways several times throughout the last couple of years is 
why is it that it seems like Nick Saban is the only coach who looks at the team he's playing and crafts a game plan based on that team versus, hey, we're going to do the same thing we do every week regardless of the matchup? Well, it's, it's a very NFL-oriented <clears throat> mindset, right? It's, yeah. it's it's all about game planning and 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 taking away what teams do and taking away players. Um, and he does it. He does a great job of it. Um, but that's just I don't know. They, they they operate at such a high level and they prepare for big games better than anyone in the country. I mean, they they just do. You look at the game plan Steve Sarkeesian had for Ohio State's defense last year, the game plan that they had this year for for Georgia. I mean, they just they always come out and they they expose every weakness you have and they have just you, you end up leaving the game going, wow. I mean, that, that was masterful. It was almost like it was almost poetic to watch. Um, they just have great coaches and they have a great system in place to to put to get uh, get all that stuff done because the problem is you don't have a ton of time right it's yeah. not the NFL you don't you, you get 20 hours right a week which we know is more like 30 but you still you don't have 40 45 50 hours with these kids so it's it's hard to get some of that stuff done and especially when you're talking about the difference between a pro athlete and a 19 year old you know worrying about chicks and homework yeah <laughs> yeah and moving on a little bit you know this is outside of the the norm for Ohio State, but how meaningful are these games anymore when you're a team like Ohio State and you're not playing in a college football playoff? It's still the Rose Bowl. I love the atmosphere there. If you've never been to a Rose Bowl, it's a must-go game for an Ohio State fan, but how meaningful is this to the players and how do you keep your team motivated when you're going to go play a pretty good Utah team, we could lose to Utah if we don't. Oh, for sure. We if could. we don't show up, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things that the culture has to handle it. Um, there's gonna be a lot of kids. that are going to think about sitting this game out. And uh, I think for the first time there, there will be kids that sit out, not for the first time. I mean, you know, you had Denzel Ward one year, Bradley Roby one year, like yeah. you had a random kid here or there, but I think this is gonna be the first year where you're going to have multiple kids sit out. Uh, but if you don't, the reason why is the culture, right? They, they, mm. that, that taste in their mouth the last time they played, was it a, a bad loss to their rival? You know, a lot, a lot of kids on, on this team, because they have such a good culture and such a strong bond with their teammates, and they just absolutely love Ohio State and like love that they play for Ohio State, they don't want that to be their last go out, right? They don't want to, yep. their last, Chris Olave doesn't want his last time on the field being that game. Um, now, it's a business decision. If I was advising the kid, I'd tell him absolutely don't play. One, you you don't need to. You're going to get hurt. You could get hurt. I mean, not you're gonna, but you know you have that risk. And is it is it really worth it? But but even more than that, I think that for the future, it it, it really is going to throw some guys in the fire in a game that doesn't really matter, right? To see a, a you know Marvin Harrison Jr. or, or Julian Fleming take a mm -hmm. big role, like to have that happen. And have him experience that and then have a whole offseason to to build off of that for next season. I don't think that's a bad thing for Ohio State. So if if yep. Garrett Wilson sits out the bowl game, I mean, I know Buckeye fans will be pissed. It might result in a loss. I mean, who knows? But I'm talking long term, like the, the end game on a, on a long play. I don't think it's that bad of a thing for anyone involved. No, not at schools that are this deep where you have guys who are itching to get on the field and are going to have to play a significant role in the next season. Why not get them out there in a meaningful game? I agree with you completely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, this to your point, this is a, a challenging matchup for us. And I think it'll be I, 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 te I tend to not really care about bowl games personally. 
but it'll be a fun one to see just in general. I'm glad it's in, in Pasadena because I'm going to go up and catch the vibe. I haven't been around like a bunch of Ohio State fans in a long time. So I miss that, man. Oh, it's going to be – it'll be fun. I did see they have all kinds of insane rules and regulations, and the prices to get out there are absolutely absurd. So I would imagine it's going to be the the least traveled bowl game Ohio State's had in quite some time because of the – the laws in California and how hard they're making it to go. Like it's the prices are absurd. Prices are crazy. That's I was texting V about that this morning. Yeah. But you're sitting here like it's not the national championship. It's not the playoffs. I get it's a Rose bowl, but you, college football devalued the Rose bowl. So why is it so much now? Like <laughs> there's a bunch of Buckeye fans that are like, wait, I have to wear a mask outside the whole time, go into the stadium with a mask on the whole time. And I have to pay this amount of money. They're like, nah, I'm good. I'll, I'll watch it in my basement. Like I'll watch it on yeah. the flat screen. Oh, is yeah. that right? I didn't realize it was uh, Pasadena's in LA County. Oh yeah, they they they. I don't even know if I don't know the the politics out there or how it's all drawn up, but I know they sent out a uh, like a graphic about at the Rose Bowl. Here's the rules, and oh, I don't know if it's a oh, stadium man. mandate or if it's LA County. I don't know what it is, but but yeah, they it's 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 strict, and yeah. you know. I'm not here to have that conversation, but I know that people, when they see all that and the price tag, they're like, eh, I'll buy a new TV and watch it here. Yeah. <laughs> Especially the, like the tickets, the cheapest ticket I could see was $219. That's, that's a lot, man. For nosebleeds. <laughs> yeah. For nosebleeds in a Crazy. huge stadium. Nuts. Yeah. I, I told Partha since he's already out there, he has the benefit of waiting uh, until. Oh, yeah. uh, so. Just, just, just wait it out and see what happens. I'm wait till thirty minutes before the game and see if I can get in. <laughs> but um, you know, I think we've gone through a, a, a good part of the conversation about the college football playoff. I think it's going to be exciting. We're all pulling for Cincinnati. I think to to pull off a couple of upsets. But that's not the only news um, coming out of Ohio State. A very interesting thing happened this past weekend. Quinn Ewers, who is uh, one of the most highly touted quarterback prospects in a long time, was the number one overall ranked prospect um, coming out of high school. Very unique situation happened where uh, because of the new NIL rules, I believe he had an agreement with an NIL organization for a seven-figure deal. um, And the Texas State High School Association basically ruled him ineligible as a result. Because of that, he came to Ohio State in August, missed all of spring ball, very, very uphill battle in terms of actually competing and getting on the field. The pressures of the NIL deal, I think, had stipulations, which he they wanted him on the field because if a guy's not on the field, they're not going to get their return on investment. Um, the rumors are that he and his family approached Ryan Day and asked him to guarantee that he would be the starter next year um, when that promise could not be made. Uh, we had a incumbent Heisman Trophy frontrunner. Uh, when that promise could not be made, uh, they decided to enter the transfer portal. This is the new, the new normal, it seems like, with highly touted prospects. Um, at programs like Ohio State, I think it's a very unfortunate situation because it took away the kids. I don't understand why, if colleges are allowing NIL, why any state would not allow the kid to make money. The team was really, really good. They're undefeated and playing for a state championship without him. Mm-hmm. Um, but technically what would have happened is he would have come to Ohio State next fall, sat behind 
CJ for a year and become the starter. Now we're dealing with this guy potentially going to Texas, Texas A&M, or any competitor um, and potentially being a great prospect. Um, so that's a summary of all the chaos. I uh, want to gather your guys' thoughts on it. Well, I, I'll tell you this. Um, you know, I, I know the the politically correct thing to do is say, you know what, it didn't work out. We wish him well. You know, I hope he's successful and all that. And uh, there's one thing, one one detail of this, I guess, scenario that that put me over the edge where I, I'm not wishing him well. I hope he fails miserably on the field and has to go get a normal job. I really do yeah. because the this is the most selfish thing I've ever seen. And we knew this was going to happen with NIL, right? You know, the they're essentially paid athletes, right? His his camp, his agent went out to try to lock in the next 12-month NIL deals, and it wasn't going to be seven figures anymore because he's not playing, which, yep. you know, if you're dumb enough business-wise to look at that and say, man, I'm going to go to Texas Tech now so I can make my million. Like, you would have made $10 million if you stayed Ohio State and get drafted high. Just, yep. first of all, it's stupid business decision. Whoever's advising this kid is a moron. But even deeper than that, the fact, the way he did this, Corey Dennis had a, his position coach is Corey Dennis, right? Urban Meyer's son-in-law. Yep. Nikki Meyer and Corey Dennis had a, a baby. A, the, the baby was born the day that he decided to enter the transfer portal. And, and just as a, as a former coach, like I know what that process looks like, right? Constant phone calls to his dad, his high school coach, the kid, Ryan Day, like have to go to the Woody to meet with the kid, trying to save him, trying to keep him there. Maybe, you know, you got to travel to Texas. Like all this stuff is going on the day his kid is born. Like you couldn't wait a day or two. You couldn't wait till Saturday to do it. You had to do it that day. You talk about selfish. Like I will never root for Quinn Ewers anywhere he goes because he did that to Corey. And I've never, I haven't even talked to Corey about it. He might've known about it and been fine, but just that, that just shows me that he's the most selfish person that maybe I've ever heard of that it, when, it, when your position coach has a child, you decide that day, like, you know what? I'm going to ruin this guy's whole day. And the day he, he had his daughter. Yeah. And even though Ryan didn't go into detail about it in his press conference, he did admit that he was blindsided by this. It yeah. wasn't something that they had a long conversation. They just blindsided. Right. Yeah. I wasn't expecting it. Yeah. And, and that's my issue. Same as yours, right? I'm, I can't, I don't tend to get mad at the kids in these scenarios because they are still kids, but whoever's advising him, is steering him down a path toward failure, not just as a football player, but as a human being. Because right. there are a lot of good football players that because they don't have the social intelligence or the lack of ego or, or, or the humility as far as their ego is concerned, they end up failing as football players. And I think with everything you added, Zach, I think I agree with that. And then also going and making a demand that if I'm not starting, then I'm going to leave. Like, that's corny too. And that works against the interest of the kid right. because it's like, if you're really that good, you come in, you compete, you outplay CJ Stroud and you take the job. Right. You want a yeah. handout. Like go, go be yeah. the starter. Then you, th you think Ryan's not going to start him if he's much better than CJ Stroud. Of course he is. Yeah. yeah. Like quit complaining and go, go, go get the job. I think yeah. that ultimately is, you know, where, where we see people's true colors in these situations is I'm sure the conversation was you want to start, be better. You'll start. There's, right. you know, there's, yeah, a hundred percent. If you're better than him, you're gonna get the spot. Nobody is, nobody's gonna argue that in a good organization. But when a kid doesn't have the confidence that they can beat him, it's like, well, in that case, you probably didn't really belong on that field anyway. If you didn't think you were good enough to make it there, you know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. if you're looking at C.J. Stroud and your your Quinn Ewers, and you don't think you can play better, then 
you probably weren't going to earn those NIL deals anywhere. It's the same as Spencer Rattler. It's the same as right. Tate Martell. It's yep. you know these these highly touted high school recruits who get so much media and exposure at a young age. They get too business minded too early, and like that's a challenge with football as opposed to other sports. In basketball, you could probably get away with something like this because getting to the league is totally different. The way athletes' brands work is totally different. The way their success in the league works is totally different. In football, it's so much more systemic and you have to be a lot more aware of your own development into the type of player that would get get to the NFL. And like that's what's going to happen with this first era of NIL deals is we're going to see a lot of athletes who probably had the talent to make it to the NFL not make it because they went really, really short term in trying to get money off the table. There's no doubt. And that, that's what I think the biggest thing, this NIL stuff, at least for me personally, is, you know, that kid made a million dollars. He's not a kid anymore. Like yeah. I, I've, I've, I've always been hesitant to criticize kids other than maybe saying like, oh, seven banks didn't play well or whatever. Like, yeah. you know, just call it call it what it is. But but to go heavy with criticism on a kid, I've always felt like hey, that's not fair. That's a kid. He's trying to figure it out. No, no, no. The minute you 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 made more money than I made now, th you can catch this criticism. It's coming right for you. No different than Odell Beckham Jr. leaves and goes to the Rams. And I, I don't want him to be successful. Now, I want Quinn Ewers to have a great family, a great life, and be happy, but I do not want him to be successful in football because that's selfish as shit, and he's a, he's a professional athlete. He can, he's, we're allowed to not, not want him to do well on the field now. And, that, and that's, that's the issue here, right, is now we have this scenario where a 16-, 17-year-old kid is being forced to make decisions. Think about what's been taken away from him as a kid, right? He's likely winning a state championship. He's never going to get that memory. His final year in high school, I still have great memories from my final year in high school. Oh, absolutely. Once he made that decision, and it's unfortunate what the Texas State did, not adjusting the rules, but this is a kid who's supposed to be coming out of high school, coming into college this year. Instead, he's, like you said, a mercenary who made $1.5 million last year um, for not playing. So no one's going to feel sorry for him. No. And, any equity he has as a person from fans is gone. I'm sure wherever he goes, we'll love him if he plays well, but he's, he, he, this didn't need to be the situation that he was yeah. in. And where do you go to? Like what other program are you going to have that same development and opportunity to make well, it to where he should go? And I don't think he will because again, this is about a bottom line and he needs a guarantee he's going to start, but the place he should go is Texas. I mean, they need a quarterback of this point. caliber in the worst way. Steve Sarkeesian, I, I did a show on the top 10 quarterback coaches in America and he was number one. You look at his his track record and history from Tua Tungavailoa, Mac Jones, then the USC quarterbacks he had. I mean, all the Leinerts and I mean, he's developed more like Heisman trophy quarterbacks and first round draft picks than I think anyone in the country. So <clears throat> that's where he should go, but I bet he goes somewhere like TCU or Texas Tech, where it's just like, it's a it's a guarantee. Like, they will tell him, you will start game one. Like, make no mistake about it. You are the guy. Yeah. And Texas Texas also does make sense from his NIL standpoint because he's from there. So, oh, yeah. We'll, we'll see what happens with, with, um, with that scenario, you know. But the players are following suit of the coaches in college football, <laughs> as we know. Um, some more big hires um, this week. Brett Venables, who we thought never was going to take a head coaching job and stay at Clemson till he died, um, decided to leave for Oklahoma. What do you think about that, Zach? 
Well, I mean, I think, you know, he's obviously been there. He, he coached there. They kind of threw him to the curb and then he went to Clemson. But <clears throat> it was a fit for him. I mean, he's familiar with the place. He obviously, he did it right. He did it like Ryan Day did, right? Yeah, Mississippi State came and called and offered Ryan Day a job and he said no. He said, I'm going to yeah. stay at Ohio State and be the coordinator. It's a better job and I'm going to ride this out till the right fit comes. And that's what Venables did. I mean, he got thrown all those mediocre SEC job offers. He was in the hunt for all those and he just, he never wanted that job. I mean, he was making a ton of money and he was really happy at Clemson running the defense. And I think that probably this year, right, the struggles they had coupled with the right job coming open was enough for him to say, all right, you know what? I'm ready to, I'm ready to make this jump. But he did it very intelligently. And it takes a lot of self-confidence to do that because your defense might suck in two years. And now no one's talking about you. Like yeah. he, really, he really had to bet on himself and say, no, 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 we're going to be one of the best defenses in the country every year. I don't care about anything else that's that's a guarantee so i'll take a i'll take a job when the perfect fit comes because you only get one shot at your your career right if he takes a south carolina job he may get fired and then he's you know who knows where his path goes but he waits he waited for the perfect job for him yeah he has yeah. experience with the program the fan base already likes him i mean this is this is a beautiful situation for him for sure yeah marcus freeman in notre dame um it seemed like the right the right choice um, considering the circumstances of the team, you know, there are always questions about whether or not, you know, he's ready, um, whether he's the right fit, but it seems like the players really, really were happy about this decision. Um, and the thing that I like about Marcus is it seems like he brings the right energy and attitude oh, yeah. toward the job. Yeah. I mean, it, it, there's two sides of this, right? One is this is the, this is the, the trend in college football, right? You look at Lincoln Riley, Ryan Day, even Dabo Sweeney. I mean, Kirby Smart, uh, now Marcus Freeman. It's instead of getting a proven head coach, you get a big time coordinator that you think is is the next next great thing, and uh, give them the keys to a you know a top ten, top five job, and that's what they did. Um, and and so, absolute kudos to Jack Swarbuck for the courage and the balls it took to make that hire. I mean, you're at Notre Dame, like there's a lot, that's a powerful, powerful fan base and, and alumni network. And for you to hire a never been head coach, I mean, that takes some nuts because if it doesn't work out well, guess what? They're both gone. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you, you got to give props to that. And you know, he's confident in the selection because he just put his career on it. Um, and, and the energy from the players was amazing to watch. I love Marcus Freeman. I mean, I've gotten to know him you know, decently o over my time at Ohio State. I think he's a great football coach. That being said, this is a huge risk. Like the guy has been a coordinator for like essentially, I mean, he was Luke Fickle's coordinator, which means he ran Luke's defense with Luke running it, right? Yeah. And then he jumps to Notre Dame and their defense is just okay. I mean, they played a pretty awful schedule in November and the defense looked great, but he, it's not like he's Brent Venables or Ryan Day, like, where he has this resume of being a dominant coordinator. And so they took a shot on him. At the same time, I've said my entire career and on my show for three years, it never has mattered how good of a coordinator you are. There's no correlation between that and being a head coach. So does he have the relationship with players? Absolutely. Will he build a culture? Absolutely. Now, can he be the CEO and make hard decisions and hire the right staff? That's what you don't know yet, right? Because he's never done it, but neither has any never been head coach before. So yeah. mm -hmm. I think it's great. I think it's great for a former Buckeye. I think it's great that Notre Dame did that because it shows that agencies and agents won't run the world. The AD had his guy and he just made the hire a lot like Gene Smith did with Ryan. So I love it for college football and I love it for Marcus, obviously. And I think every kid at Notre Dame right now feels like, although they were disrespected and Brian Kelly kind of left them at the altar, 
they came out of it with a hotter wife, right? They they got the better end of the deal. They're really happy that Brian Kelly left them. Nice. Yeah, I, I agree with that sentiment. The, the, this last one kind of confuses me a little bit because I do not understand why there is so much fanfare around Mario Cristobal, the coach. It's not like Oregon is a world beater. They, they struggled this year. But it seems like the way that Miami is chasing this guy um, is like he is Nick Saban um, or Nick Saban caliber coach. The money that's being thrown around, the numbers that are being offered, both by Oregon and Miami. Um, I don't get it, Zach. Is there something I'm not seeing here with this guy? Yeah, I think he's really good. I do. I think he's okay. one of the best, probably one of the top 10 coaches in the country. And and it's just it's kind of a weird fit at, at Oregon. I never saw that fit working and he's made it work better than I anticipated. But what he did at FIU and just kind of how he's respected within the coaching circle, he's a he's an excellent head coach. And, um, you know, Oregon's been good, not great. Um, I think it's an awkward recruiting base at Oregon. Like it's yeah. an awkward place to recruit. And that ultimately, there's two reasons he went to Miami. One, he's a longtime Miami guy, coached at Miami, was then the head coach at FIU for a while. I mean, he's he's been in, he's always been a South Beach guy. Then he goes to Alabama and he's pulling Amari Cooper out of there. Uh, to to come play at Alabama, so he recruited Miami. Like he is a Miami guy. So I've said all. I, I think I said before they hired Manny Diaz. Like when are they going to stop playing around and just go get Mario Cristobal? Because that yeah. he just to me is the Miami brand, right? <laughs> so that's one is he's going to be able to recruit the hell out of South Florida, and he doesn't have to travel all over the world trying to get people to Eugene, Oregon. Yeah. Um, and and two because Miami, I guess, and I didn't realize this until I read it today. Uh, apparently, the Miami hospital, their medical whatever department hospital all that they've they've like raised over 400 million dollars in the last year or so and so they've decided they've always been a separate entity the athletic department from the university but because of the success of the hospitals and the medical some of the stuff the school is doing they're going to reinvest and relink and they're going to actually help fund the athletic department to build some new facilities bring mario in and pay him eight million dollars a year so there's a there's a serious commitment to the program <clears throat> and so i think it's a it's a home run for both of them they got they got a, a much better football coach, a guy that can recruit the area. Now they're getting the money to come in. <clears throat> it's got a, they got a chance with both Florida, other Florida schools being down to really make a power move here in the state of Florida and, and kind of <laughs> at least get back some close to prominence, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a, the unfortunate uh, collateral damage is Manny Diaz in this, right. <laughs> in this situation. It was I like, mean, okay. you imagine that? That'd be like being married and your wife's going on dates all the time and you're like, are we getting divorced? I, I'm confused. I thought we got married. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're they're basically like if Cristobal doesn't take the job, you still have a job, but otherwise, right, we're, we're getting divorced. That's an Think about it. It's like your spouse is dating someone else. You're like, well, if this guy decides to marry me, I'm going to divorce you. But if not, I'll stay. Like, yeah. <laughs> yep. No thanks. Yep. Last topic before we get out of here, too, Zach is this was an interesting one. Joe Brady got fired um, this past week, mid season in Carolina showcasing kind of the challenges, not just as a head coach, we're seeing it with Urban as a head coach, but Joe Brady three years ago was an offensive mastermind genius. They hire him to be the coordinator in Carolina and it doesn't seem like it worked out. Um, and it seemed like there was more there in terms of why Matt Rule got rid of him in the middle of the season um, in terms of it just not working. 
where does he go from here, from being like the, the superstar wonderkin to getting fired from an NFL job? Where does, where does he go? Back to LSU? Think he gets a head coaching job? What does 33-year-old Joe Brady do? I mean, I think he'd, <clears throat> it'd be wise of him to go to, you know, look into going back to LSU because Brian Kelly has a whole staff of jobs that he can't fill because no one from Notre Dame wanted to go. Nobody <laughs> so, wants to work with that guy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Tony Alford, former employees, Tony Alford turned down a promotion there. Like, I yeah. mean, everyone's turning down Brian Kelly. So he certainly has opportunities. Maybe I should call him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I think. I mean, it's twofold, right? The NFL is such a different game, such a tough game. I mean, it's all personnel driven. You're dealing with a bunch of pros. I don't even know who is quarterback. Oh, they brought Cam Newton back. I mean, that's that's how bad it was. They got rid of Cam Newton, and then they went through like four quarterbacks. They're like, you know what? Cam yeah. Newton was way better than the situation we're yeah. in now. Bring him back. Yeah. So it's it's such a tough, tough league and tough level of football. He also was very fortunate to have a generational quarterback at LSU. I mean, it. It's not every and generation and three generational receivers too. Right. Like I mean, not every day you wake up with freaking Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, like and Randy Moss's kid is your tight end, by the way. Yeah. Like, holy shit. Yeah. Like, give me that coordinator job. I'll be a, a guru. Like yeah. build a statue. It's yeah. just like loaded. So I think it's both. I think he's really good. I think he did a great job teaching Joe Burrow, developing Joe Burrow. And uh and then the NFL, he just got kind of dealt a, a shitty hand and I agree with you I'm sure there was some kind of explosion in the office between rule and him about something and it probably just it just wasn't going to work out so he had to had to let him go but I think he, he'll be in he'll be in the NFL for sure they recycle coaches better than anybody or if he wants he could be a coordinator in college football right now I don't know if he'll get a head job after getting fired I think if he just didn't get fired he could have gotten a head job yeah. but now you know there'll be a little apprehension so I think he needs to get back in the college game be a coordinator and you know go re-image re his brand yeah yeah well zach well i look forward to hearing uh hearing the update next week that uh you'll be taking the oc job at lsu <laughs> 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 in the meantime um what an exciting week i'm excited for uh the bowl games the playoffs we got a lot coming up um i guess we'll talk to you are we doing one next week v uh we should yeah Nice so we'll talk to you next week as we prep. There's going to the be Heisman Trophy coming up. Oh yeah, and a ton of ton of probably more transfers, more nil stuff, <laughs> more chaos. So we'll have a lot more drama to dig into next week for sure. Well, I appreciate it, fellas. Show the Pilot Boys some love by getting some of our exclusive merch at shop.pilotboys.com. You're listening to the Pilot Boys podcast. Hey, this is Partha. Not only am I a Pilot Boy, but I'm also the CEO of Lasso. I started Lasso to help people improve their movement on a daily basis. We design and create compression apparel that enables you to move confidently, recover safely, and ultimately be the best version of yourself. We use a patented compression technology that activates key ligaments and tendons to help you improve your proprioception, coordination, and balance on a daily basis. Lasso socks were recently ranked number one by Men's Health because of how much they improve how your body works and the overall comfort, softness, and feel of the product. We're very proud of the Lasso socks, so check them out on our website at lassogear.com or at lassogear. Undo Media is proud to be the production partner for the Pilot Boys. Storytelling is what they do. From video production, podcasting, and consulting, Undo Media's focus is on telling your story. Find out why four Emmys and hundreds of clients will back up why you should contact Undo Media for your next project. Look them up at undomedia.com. And we're back. Uh, have a special guest to interview. 
uh, Partha, you actually discovered our our guest. Um, and it's always great when you find somebody organically that you want to interview, right? So I'll, I'll let you take it. Yeah, I'll, I'll give us some narrative here. So I, I met Abhinav digitally and we're soon to meet in person. Um, but I stumbled across your TikTok, dude. And I did the whole slide in the DMs to another brown man and just gave, <laughs> gave one. Like, hey, it's cool to see another brown dude out here, like not only being themselves, but also with like an interesting message because most people, I think, in today's society, that I think the content piece in particular, you know, there's a lot you talk about, Abhinav, that I'm into, but the piece in particular that um, pulled me in was you were talking about. Uh, weed addiction, which I think is not spoken about enough in today's society, especially with legalization. We talk about a lot of the benefits, but there any substance comes with misuse. And you talked about how you teach a lot of young kids a breathing exercise, like a visualization breathwork exercise that gives them the same feeling as if they had smoked. And you were like, man, it's, that's just your breath. Like, And the way you said it, your energy, I was like, man, this guy's infectious. I need to spend more time with him. And yeah, I mean, so that's my, that's my, you know, semi-organized intro on you, but uh, welcome, man. We're glad to have you. You guys, this is super exciting. I've been praying for more podcasts like this, so I'm so thrilled to get the opportunity to talk to both of you. Uh, so thank you for having me. I'm, I'm super, super pumped. So let, let, let's get into your journey let's before you started uh, posting uh, infectious and, and viral content on TikTok. <laughs> Um, yeah. how do you get to the place, you know, obviously a lot of your content, you can tell without, um, being direct that it, 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 it does come from personal experience, personal journey, personal enlightenment to understand, Hey, this path or this process, the way that I look at life, it's probably, uh, a, a little stressful and I need to, uh, figure yeah. out some changes that I need to make personally. And it's great to see that because that, I think creates the best content when you have personal experience um, with things and that leads you to a path of, of discovery. And it seems like uh, that's how you got here. Can you tell us a little bit about how you did get here? Absolutely. I mean, I feel like I want to go all the way back to like first coming to America, so to speak and fast forward, but I don't know if I should go that far back. <laughs> um, but uh, if, if that's cool with you, I mean, I'll start a little bit kind of on the journey of like, you know, three of us brown people talking here over the Internet. Like we're all I guess I'm assuming you guys are immigrants, too, possibly um, mm -hmm. or your families is. Right. So parents, parents, I you're right. So like my parents and, you know, my my older brother and my grandmother, we all immigrated in 2002 to California. The reason being my older brother is actually handicapped, like he has muscular dystrophy. He can't walk and he doesn't have like. The world's best quality of life back in india because it's not very developed for handicapped people at the time right and that was a big driver and like you know hey let's move to a country where there's a lot of forward thinking around this and you know my parents kind of changed all their careers you know my dad had businesses that he you know got rid of and we moved here we just basically started fresh and i was i think about 10 years old when i actually immigrated i visited in like 97 i think like new jersey area uh that's why i can kind of have an like no accent, but I can turn it on when I need to turn it on type of thing. I think every Indian guy has to have that skill set to turn on his Indian accent. Yeah, you have to. It's a powerful one. The, the authenticity one. checks are 100%, right? So, yeah. um, you know, at that time, like coming to a new country, like losing all your friends, starting fresh, it was like, I was always looking for ways to fit in somehow, like 
what do I do? And I was always into music, even when I was a kid. My parents would take me to this, uh, like, guy that had this sort of school of arts. And in the summertime in India, like, we have two months off, three months off, I would just be left there to, like, hey, go and learn something and do something with yourself. You're not going to be doing anything at home anyway. So I learned how to play, like, different drums, like Indian drums. And, like, uh, I was into, like, uh, various different instruments. But I always liked playing drums. So I wanted to continue that forward. And so when I came to this country, like, looking at joining the band, like, the, you know, looking at how performance is done, like, that was always very interesting to me. So I pivoted towards that direction. But the challenge there was I never knew how to read music and I never took lessons. And this is right when like YouTube was coming out, 2005, 2006 era. And there were some like, you know, I had connectivity to the internet. So first off, discovering what the hell the internet is at, a, at that age, yeah. figuring out like how you can find things and, and watch stuff. And I was very good at mimicking, like watching something and then regurgitating it back drumming wise mm -hmm. and like kind of listening with a good ear, but I couldn't read music. So you guys have seen the movie Drumline? Yeah. yeah. Bro, that shit is about me. Fuck Nick Cannon. Like, <laughs> just kidding. That's, that's very common in the music industry, actually. A it lot is. of musicians yeah. can't read music. Right. And I didn't know that. And so I was pretty much faking my way through the whole audition process of different things that I was part of. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm kind of like imposter syndrome, whatever. But like, I was good. I thought I was pretty damn good. Or, and other people thought I was good. So I got some yeah. chances. And, you know, fast forward a couple of years after that, I became the drum captain, the youngest drum captain in my high, high school, you know, leading the whole band. And, and I was in every music thing you can imagine. And that kind of became my like sense of belonging from an early age in American culture, like being a performer, feeling like you're part of something bigger. But then like at the same time, I wasn't so into school and classes and like taking, you know, how you want to be like a 4.0 student. That was not yeah. me, but I wasn't a failure. Like I was, I was passing my classes, either C's, B's and A's, A's and like the really simple classes and, you know, mostly B's and A minuses and C pluses and C minuses and whatever. But like, you know, I knew that it was important to my, my family that I finished school. So I, I took it seriously enough, but I never let it get too into my head, which really upset my dad. Cause he was like, why is he wasting all this time? Extracurricular bullshit. He should be like, studying to be an engineer or whatever, right? Like, <laughs> get your money, son. What are you doing? Like, we just yeah. worked hard to get you here and you're wasting your life away. So it was always a sort of like battle with like going into that. But my mom was always very supportive. And so getting through high school was like all music. And then getting yeah. towards the end of high school, getting into college, I'm like, shit, I got to decide what I want to do. And now I haven't really gotten the best grades to get into university. So I'm like figuring out how I'm going to do this. And at that time, you know, we had some family health issues going on as well. Um, you know, I told you about my brother. My dad had some complications at the same time around that year when I was graduating. And I was like, well, fuck, I can't just like leave my family and go somewhere anyway. So I went to community college. That's where I started. Like I just went to the community college yeah. that was near my house and I started taking classes. And probably it was the best thing for me because I don't think I would have survived the stress that it takes to be in college away from your family and being by yourself, starting something new. Yeah. Which I mean, in today's world, it's, it's different now, but like, I think there was, that was an important step in my journeys to like go through community college, do that for two years, kind of like looked at all the different ma majors. And I liked, I liked technology always. I was always into it. So I kind of chose that route, but it was so difficult for me because I wasn't like, an A plus student that's such a rock star that just gets math and physics and fucking all that shit. That's so hard conceptually. And you're like, how the fuck am I going to get through this? So I was good at what I was good at, which is networking and making connections with people. So I made yeah. a lot of smart friends mm -hmm. 
and found ways to like hang out with these people and really just be like, okay, here's what I bring to the table. Here's what you bring to the table. Let's hang out. Let's work together. Let's get this thing going. I kid you not, I would not have my degree today if it wasn't for my friends. You know, so I always played to what my strengths were. It was if it was music in high school that got me through that portion. In college, it was my social activity, and also I got into bodybuilding. Mm. The story about that is, I had a lot of health issues in my family growing up. I had a lot of issues uh, dealing with that personally, and I was like, I don't want to grow up and have my kids ever face issues because I didn't take care of myself, and I wanted to learn about it. None of my, no, nobody in my family really knew about exercise and nutrition. Yeah. And, what it's like to, you know, like reading like ghee and like fucking rice and chole and everything all day, every day, you know, we're not eating anything that healthy, fried okay. food and you know, sweets. Like, like I didn't know what calories were until I was like an adult. You know what I mean? Like I didn't realize yeah. that you can actually fuck yourself up by eating a whole bag of Doritos. Yeah. Like Family yeah. size Costco bag of Doritos. I would yeah. kill this shit. And I started to get a gut and I get self-conscious about it. I'm like going through those 14, 15, 16 year old age groups where you want to market yourself as an adult trying to get out into the you know dating world or whatever have you and you're like dude i like i don't like the way i'm coming out and then not to mention those that age is so critical where you're also developing your personality and i was an outspoken guy i always got picked on and bullied for that i always got yeah. picked on by the by other kids for being outspoken from actually from an early age i noticed that when i even was in elementary school people made fun of the fact that my parents were like wrapping up roti for me in a foil and like giving me food for for lunch and these fucking kids are eating shit lunchables that are expired and they're like making fun of my food like oh, it smells bad i'm be like yo fuck you stacy like you know <laughs> what I mean? like what are you talking about your parents don't even give a fuck about you to make dinner and lunch for you at least my parents wake up early morning before they work 12 hours a day to make sure that i have a good lunch and it was interesting because i had all these external uh pressures from like being in the culture but in my home from like my parents indirectly directly my grandmother i had so much love and like i had so much like kind of filling my cup it didn't bother me what other people were doing and saying to me so much it seems like that's a, a unique part of your uh your journey even when you were in india um your parents kind of being in tune with non-traditional things like music and culture that isn't uh something that's really emphasized it's like <laughs> you've got two months and go go study for your uh for go learn algebra that's kind of true cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um but it it does seem like that that was a unique thing for you because a lot of indian kids what their complaint is is that you don't really get love at home you get it's like encouragement to achieve high, achieve highly but not necessarily the the love aspect of relationship it's not something that's emphasized in our culture and i would just add like any probably most people i, I had a very budding head relationship with my father yeah even today, like i'm 29 now and i'm still working on a relationship with my dad yeah you know, that's why i don't live in the same house as him because we will clash if i'm there yeah. too, too many days i love him to death he loves me to death I wouldn't be the man I am without the strictness that my dad has. But I also learned a lot from him indirectly. The reason I am so outspoken and able to communicate with people, the reason I'm in business, the way I can do sales and, and kind of putting myself out there is because I absorbed that from watching him do that, right? He was like a character in front of people. And he was like this other person when he would get angry and pissed at home. And you're just kind of like figuring out like, well, what the fuck, man? Like, why can't we like 
just be happy. And he was always someone that was very stressed out, very anxious, yeah. very like worried about shit. Just because obviously my older brother had health issues. So he's always, I mean, they faced a lot of challenges with my brother. So my dad has always been like, how can I prevent shit from going wrong? Which puts you in this very negative mindset of yeah, everything has to be like, you know, perfect or I'm pissed. And you're just kind of like, and, and, and I'm saying all this with love. Like, I'm not saying this to say I hate my dad or anything like that. I'm saying this, that kind of molded me to become very empathetic and learn about why do I get so anxious? Well, some of that is absorbed through that lifestyle, growing up in that home and like, you know, just being immigrants and trying to survive in a different country. You're As an immigrant, you're always on vacation in a different country is basically what your life is. You're never going to feel like you're at home. Even now, dude, if I go back to India for like a week or two weeks, three weeks, it just feels different. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like there's this like shift in your mind. You're just like, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's so unique, the cultural clash. And I think, you know, thinking about the age aspect, I think we all come to a point, like you go through that phase where the culture um, clash leads to conflict with your parents. Right. And then also not understanding um, why they choose the lifestyle that they choose, because for the most part, we saw family structure of American people. They had a lot, a lot of fun. They did a lot of things. Um, whereas our parents didn't have that fun. You know what I mean? They yeah. just worked and, yeah. and, but it gets to a point where you get over whatever that tension is and you realize, and you have the perspective enough to understand that even within your family, you're two different people with two different backgrounds they came to this country and literally had to make it and survive with no support system i think every kid kind of goes to that point where they get that perspective and i think that does help change the relationship it doesn't mean that those conflicts don't continue to exist yeah. um but it seems like that that tended that happened for you earlier than most where you actually were like i get it i get why we're different um, and yeah. you also accepted and embraced the fact that as a result, we have to create distance between our, between ourselves in order for us both to have mental peace. You know what I mean? hundred percent, dude. I mean, I couldn't have said it better. And part of it, it was like, it also drove me to realize like, okay, I want to be ultra successful for my family. So they don't have to be in this rut of just worrying about the future. Right. I wanted my yeah. dad to have that peace too. Like I wanted to be successful and have my dad be proud of me. My mom's always been proud of me. She's always been supportive no matter what the fuck I do. When I got yeah. into bodybuilding and I'm fucking putting on little posing trunks, basically a man thong and telling my mom to help me put the tan shit on myself, bro, she helped me do that. It's, you know what I mean? Like how weird does that sound? Like a fucking kid, like, are you gay or something? Like, what are you doing? And all I want to do is I want to like, look, look like Arnold. I want to flex. I want to like appear bigger than I am. It was covering all the insecurities, right? Of being yeah. bullied and yeah. all that stuff. And it, it really like, it also culturally kept being in California, you know, muscle beach, pumping iron, all that stuff. You grow up, you're like, yeah, like I want to, like if I, I can't, I'm not a surfer at the beach, I'm going to be the guy that gets the attention for the muscles or whatever, you know, I want to, if I can't grow taller, I'm going to grow wider. Like yeah. short story from that was when I was 13 or 14, 14 probably. And I wasn't very tall for my age. I convinced my mom to take me to the doctor to get growth hormone. I was like, <laughs> I was like, mom, I got to get some GH. I, I got to get, I got to get bigger. The doctor's like, dude, that that's not how it works. Like, you're not gonna get much taller. Like, it, it's like your growth plates are almost fused. I was like, fuck. But you know, just like thinking always about like kind of pushing the, the the boundaries of like what limitations I felt like I had been given, 
in my life and always trying to like look for the next thing. And, you know, and I'm happy to go into this in more detail. I want to give you guys context to like set it up, but like bodybuilding became the first thing in my life through which I learned about discipline and hard work. Mm -hmm. um, not to say that music wasn't that music was definitely that, but it was a group thing, right? Like you're working with other people, you're in an ensemble, you know, and then, and you're, you're relying on but bodybuilding was, it's just me, myself and I, what goes in my mouth, what kind of training I'm doing, how much rest and recovery and time management I'm doing while I'm in college. Like all that I learned at an early age where most kids were just fucking off doing nothing. So you, know? you mentioned you first went into that really because your insecurities are driving you. I think that's the case for a lot of people who achieve things young um, is that they have a lot of insecurity that they're fighting. Yeah. What, when did you or were you able to, while you were doing bodybuilding, convert that into doing it from a place of love and passion for it? And that's how a, was that process? That's a great question. I think for the first several years of bodybuilding, it was driven by a lot of anger and I'll show you mentality and like, like just not fueled by the right type of energy. But I also became a goddamn monster. Like I really pushed myself. I always say this, it's, and it's an inappropriate quote in some contexts, but it's like, it's better to go too far than not far enough. Because how else are you going to know how far you can push yourself? It's like, you got to mm -hmm. redline that shit and then dial it back a little bit. I did that. I know I did that. Like I was a freak. I was something that you would walk into a room and you'd be like, how the fuck does that guy look like that? Like all eyes on me type of thing. When I walk into a lecture room full of 300 kids in a computer science hall, and I'm there with like my fucking food bag, my water. And I'm like, I'm one of you motherfuckers. You know what I mean? Like they're all looking at you like, what is this guy? He, you know, they're all like kind of dorky looking kids for the most part, you know, stereotypical introverts. And I'm this guy like trying to break the mold. It was a lot of that that was fueling it for those years, which, you know, psychologically was developing this amazing ego that was just like so driven. Like if I could, if you had met me at 20, 21, 22, I was so influential, influential in, when I would talk to people about how driven I was, where they're like grown ass men, people that were like in business and successful and shit, like, bro, this guy's fucking got something. But at the same time, I was still insecure. You know what I mean? I just learned how to play it big. But yeah. and at, at that time, I felt like it was helping me. And it wasn't until years down the line where when I was in a much different situation, career wise and realizing what I want to do with my life long-term wise, where that ego was just not going to help me anymore. And that's when it started to break down more yeah. and more. I'm happy to get into that, but yeah, it seems like you got into a race with yourself. Um, but you were doing it to, to please the external world and everyone else outside of you. And you never really thought about whether or not this makes me happy. Right. Um, yes. even it, and it's funny because you'll start to get, accolades and recognition for those things but you'll still feel the same insecurity if it's not something work is when the world rewards you for the wrong kind of drive that's i think that's like one of the worst outcomes because you yeah. just keep going and going and going yeah no i think you guys put that really well like and that's what it was it just felt like after the last competition i did so i lost six times and i won the seventh time that i competed uh-huh and I always got second place, third place, second place, third place. And I was like, yeah, what the fuck? Like I'm working my ass off. I'm doing everything. Like what is going on? And, you know, a lot of people take drugs in this sport, as you guys know. And I went that route. I was like, whatever it takes, 
whatever the fuck it takes. I'm going to yeah. get, this. I'm going to get mine. I don't care. You know, and you're young and you're reckless and whatever. And I was a pretty good kid for the most part. Like I didn't do any stupid things growing up all the time, but I was like in the mindset of like, you know, I'm only going to be this age once. And I really want to know what I can pull out like of myself. I really want to yeah. know. You know, so I actually went down that road and I actually took stuff. Definitely not the best for my health. Definitely had repercussions down the line um, and wouldn't recommend it to anybody. But at the same time, it was, I wouldn't know what I know now if I hadn't done that. Mm. And I wouldn't be able to speak from the conviction that I have now if I hadn't done that. And, but also given the fact that I'm seeing so many young adults today are just shy of pushing themselves for fucking anything. Yeah. Yeah. yeah want, it's it's all about, it's, it's so important to be balanced because I feel like we live in a weird, weird place right now where not caring about anything is really encouraged. Right. You don't get it. <laughs> it's like you can't go that far where you just don't give a shit about anything, you know. But there's also the other side of it of high achievers who just seek accolades and they become addicted to getting these accolades and mm. they have just as empty of a life as the person who doesn't care at all. It's like kind of finding that balance where you first of all understand what drives you and what's important yes. to you to make you happy. Um, and then the second thing is that anything that you're, that is going to drive you to that limit or that red line probably isn't it. Right. And like in your case, you didn't turn to drugs or alcohol because, um, because you just wanted to fit in. You turned to drugs and alcohol because you actually drugs basically because you thought that it would improve and yeah. and make you better and optimize performance you. enhancing stuff yeah right i was pushing myself to the red line like when it came to like people talk about nootropics and shit dude i knew about nootropics in like 2010 11 12 you know when it wasn't even a word yeah. right like performance enhancing supplements and things like that like i was so deep into that and that was the one thing that i found about myself is if i like something and I truly like it. I genuinely want to know everything I can learn about it. Like I'm so yeah. fucking curious about it. You know, like when like I was telling you guys before the show, it's like when we did when I wanted to get into podcasting, I was like, I wasn't convincing enough to just start small. I wanted to just yeah. make make it really big and scalable in a way. And it was like, why? It's like it wouldn't be fun enough if was if, if I couldn't do that with it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And so so I don't know. That's something that I've figured out that part of my uh, thing is if I'm really into something, I really want to go deep in on it. And that's also, a, there's a negative side to that, which is sometimes I prohibit myself from trying newer shit because I feel like if I can't put so much into it, then it's like, I don't want to half-ass it. And that's, that's kind of the wrong attitude I would say to have because I'm limiting my upside by trying newer and newer things. Right. But you know, it's just one of those things. It's like a double-edged sword type of behavior. It seems where you're like, Okay, so just because you think you can't go all out, you're not going to go at it at all. And and the reason I bring this up is because I feel like a lot of the young adults that talk to me, they're kind of caught up in this idealistic view as well, where they're like, well, either nothing has meaning or I want like the biggest fucking thing I can ever conceive of. And it's like, well, you got to start somewhere. I mean, you can't, you know what I mean? Like, and, and, I'm happy to get into some more of this, but I would like to hear what you guys think about this. Did you, um, yeah, I mean, I think we're, we're having a good discussion about this amongst the three of us. Cause I think all three of us have different, but similar experiences, right? Like 
we've seen the experience of acting like I don't think any of us don't care, right? Obviously, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing if we didn't care, but we've had moments where we've tested both sides, right? Like where we've burnt ourselves out caring too much, and we've also lost out by caring too little, right? So uh, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> so that's like a that's the 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 catch twenty two. But eventually, you learn. Um, and you figure things out. And what I wanted to ask you was, did you have like an aha moment when you were bodybuilding and you were redlining it? Did, was it a specific moment that made you say, you know what, this actually is having a harmful effect? on? Oh, me yeah. I mean, life. like right towards the end of it, when I was pushing myself to the red line, like I could, I had a, a friend of mine who was also in medical school at the time. Um, and I was consulting with him very closely. Like I was telling him all the shit I was taking. I had one other friend of mine who also very deep, passionate about medical research and, and like substances and what they have effects on. I was telling these guys everything I was doing, right? And it got to a point where I was like really starting to see some serious side effects, like my heartbeat and sleep and other things that were being really significantly affected. And I was like, they were basically, my friend who's a doctor, he's like, dude, I know you're really into this and you want to like achieve your goal, but I think if you continue like this for another month, this was like the last two to three, maybe four weeks of the show. He's like, if you continue this for any more than like a month or so, I think you're going to have a heart attack. Oh, and I, was like, I was like, Oh fuck. You know? Cause you think you're like, when you're shredded and jacked, you think you're fucking invincible. You're like, yeah. you think your outside is just like, bro, this is amazing. Like I, and there's nothing that can stop me. I'm Superman, you know, it's getting then compound that with some other like performance enhancing substances. Like your ego is just fucking through the roof. You know, and and it's just you're you just think you can you're never gonna be able to, you know, be stopped. And so like those kinds of things, I took them very seriously because I was like, you know, why did I get into this? I didn't get into becoming a bodybuilder. I got into working out and exercising and learning about this because my family struggled and had a lot of health issues. If I've just pushed myself to the same place where now I'm gonna have health issues because of what I've done, then I'm so far away from the intention of why I started this journey. I really need to look into this. And yeah. that's really was the full circle of the whole thing. So after the last show I did, I got off that stage. I was very done and also very unhappy still. I wasn't fulfilled. Because the thing with bodybuilding it teaches you is you become very self-obsessed and very, what's the word? Like your self-image gets distorted. Body dysmorphia, I think, is the technical term. Yeah. And no matter what happened, like I was like, oh, I can look better. Like I look like shit. Like I don't, you know, I'm not enough. Yeah. You know, so you always feel like you're never enough. And at, this is like start of like Instagram days and all. And, you know, like I was obviously like peeping on the competition, seeing like what they're looking like and you, yeah. that shit gets in your head. And like overall net net, like I learned a lot about health and well-being, but I also learned a lot about how being competitive can be very detrimental to your long-term yep. health. Right. Yeah. And uh, competitiveness in general in this society is like, it's a cool thing because American culture is built on it. It's built on underdogs and winners, but it's cool only from an inspirational point. I feel like competitiveness in general only exists if you live in a scarce reality. If you mm -hmm. live in an abundant reality, there's no competition. There's only collaboration. Yeah, and mm -hmm. I think I'm more in that mindset, the latter today, yeah. than I was you know, several years ago. And I do want to talk about something that you said, uh, Viswanth, which was like, you push yourself so far into the extreme where you're redlining and realize the negative concept can the consequences of that. And you push yourself so far into the, I don't give a fuck mode 
And I want to talk to you guys about it because you brought up the discussion about like, why do I talk about weed? I want to talk about how that yeah. came into my life. Yeah. So, you know, fast forward after bodybuilding's done, time to get a real job, kid, like make some fucking money. Like you're not, this isn't like bodybuilding is the biggest money sinking pit you can imagine. Yeah. Spending like yeah. seven, eight grand on just like food and and like other supplements. And you're just like, I don't have this kind of money. I can't sustain this. I don't make any money doing this. Right. So it's like getting your job. So somehow I did finish my degree in computer science and I realized like, holy shit, I'm actually not as, uh, not that set up to being successful in this career because getting a job out of college is not that easy. No, uh, I'm sure you guys probably know that. And I was like starting again from the bottom. It's like you climb these ladders, right. Of school and you start all the way at the bottom every time starting at the bottom again. I'm like, fuck, what am I going to do? But somehow, again, using the same skill sets that I know I've gotten, which is being genuine and kind to other people and networking with them. And and then things just kind of work out some way or another. And that's how I got started in the tech world. You know, got partnered up with a family friend who's very successful in this industry, in the tech world. And we started to build an app together. And, you know, I learned a lot in during that process in that like almost 11 months that we did this project you know, I learned everything you could learn about developing something from the ground up to how you would go and market this and sell it. And mm-hmm. all I did after that was update my LinkedIn profile and boom, I got a job offer from a company in the Bay Area. And I was like, they're like, we'll give you $115,000. I'm like, huh? I'm living in Southern California like a fucking kid. I'm like, what are you, you going to give me that much money to come up there? Yeah. They're like, yep. I'm like, okay. So I went up there and you realize quickly that money isn't anything like that's like, like $5,000 a month rent. You're like, not oh, even bro. And like all the tax you pay and the rent is just like four grand a month. And you're just like, wait a second, I'm in net negative here. This isn't right. Um, and so, you know, I got into the field because I was eager to kind of prove to my dad and prove to my family, like, yo, I'm not a waste. Like I'm going to get my shit together. This is yeah. my path to that, you know? And so a lot of that like drive from being a bodybuilder did channel, into that career path. But I quickly realized after doing that job for about a year, not even maybe that I'm not passionate about this. I love technology, but I'm not passionate about being an engineer. I'm not passionate about like writing code and stuff and just like building things from the, from like, well, to be fair, it was more like when you're working for some company, you're building or you're working on an existing code base. And there's a lot of shit you have to handle that is out of your control and probably not what you're interested in doing anyhow. And so I was like, quickly, I'm like, I got to get the hell out of this. But then again, at this point in my life, now I'm further away from my family, right? I'm living in a new city, no friends again, right? Very Starting from, <laughs> right. And paying a lot. And then I'm like, but now I had all the freedom, right? So now I just been super disciplined for the last four or five years of my life where I wasn't really drinking or smoking or doing anything. Yeah. But now I'm like exploring all of that, you know, like, going out to drink on Friday nights, going to like explore the city, paying $20 for drinks and shit and whatever. And slowly starting to realize like, oh, wow, this is a really fun way to live. It's like, why are the, where the fuck has this all been in my life? You know, because I've been so disciplined. Like when I was serious about bodybuilding, I I didn't touch any of that stuff. Like I'm, you know, not eating anything bad for me, you know, all that stuff. And so that's where it started, like tasting sort of the other aspects of life. But then I started to go too far into that. It's like, okay, well, now I'm commuting for work. I don't have time to go to the gym. So now I'm not doing that anymore. That's starting to then affect my health. I'm getting fatter. I'm like, then again, the body conscious thing comes up. And what I started to realize much later down the line is how much your mental health is related to your physical health, which is just not, again, talked about 
you know, people just yeah, for right. the most part have no idea that that's actually the fact. Your yeah. body and your mind are connected. Like they're they're not two separate entities. If your yeah. body is shit and it's getting dirty fuel, it's going to affect the way you feel in your mind about yourself. So yeah. fast forward, I started to get really anxious, really fucking anxious, like more anxious than I've ever been in my life about where am I headed, how I'm going to deal with this, like the pressures of being, you know, in a in a company or in a world where you're asked to deliver and you have to, otherwise you're kind of like scrutinized for every little thing you do. I was just like, bro, I can't survive and this isn't this isn't going to work. Thank God I had a very good friend that I made who's still, he, he's kind of like in a way, like a guiding angel, I would say, huge part of my spiritual journey. But he also, him and I would like smoke cigars every week. He would come once a week and I learned about remote work stuff, which is so relevant today. And it's, mm. it was amazing. I was like, oh, there's a way for me to go back to my family again because I didn't like being alone anymore. And then weed came into the picture then. It was like, I'm working, I'm making good money, super stressed out. Drinking every week is not scalable. It's expensive. It's not good. Weed came in the picture. Never did weed. Always thought it was for losers. But I got into it and I was like, fuck, this is great. I feel amazing. Like, this is awesome. This is the best thing ever. Yeah. And so, you know, if a little bit is good, more is better, right? Like, that's yeah. kind of the mindset you have. So now I'm going like fucking smoking all the time, you know, before work. You can conceal vape pens and whatever. Like, you know, you're just you're just living your life. And I was just kind of like, flying through. But then that was starting to unlock parts of me, which I felt like had been suppressed, which was like, okay, yeah, like, so what if this isn't working out? Like, okay, let them fire me. Fuck it. I'll find another job or whatever have you. Yeah, and it, it gave me like this sort of false confidence, but it was required to, for me to push boundaries again, which is, if there's nothing you take away from this conversation is, I feel like I'm where I'm at in my life because I've always pushed boundaries. I've pushed buttons. I've pushed fucking things that other people are just scared to do. Yeah, there's negatives to that for sure. But there's more positives that I found from doing that. And now I'm a little bit more calculated, perhaps in the way I do it. But weed came into my in life in that sense. And I was smoking all the time, and didn't really feel anything negative from it. So I just did it more and more. And I was very happy and very like, enjoying my life or so I thought and then you know, several years into it 2017 hits. And this is the time where I'm just like, you know, all the time. I'm talking about like waking up before brushing my teeth, like taking a dab. I don't know if you guys know what that means, but yeah, you know, like you, by the we, way, either of you smoke been, weed? We've been around, you know, we've okay, been I mean, around California. I mean, I would hope yeah. so. Uh, we smoked enough weed yesterday and the day before for me to be good for a while. Yeah, that's that's the, the I think that's the, the takeaway from all of this, right? Is never letting something, um, control your lifestyle or your being in such a way that um, it's preventing you from being the, the best version of yourself. I have a, a saying that I learned through much experience, which is, you know, try everything you like in moderation. And if you don't like something, don't be pressured into doing it, obviously. But um, it's helpful to have those experiences, like you were saying, uh, to a point where you understand where too, where you've gone too far. Um, and you scale back, you know, and I think the problem that a lot of people have in that journey is once they've realized they go, they've gone too far. It's like, okay, I have to quit cold Turkey. I have to quit yeah. cold Turkey. And to me, I feel like that that's the real control. And, you know, even for alcoholics, real control is being able to have a drink without having to go to 20 drinks. You know what I mean? And how do you control your discipline in, in that sure. frame? Well, you said you said it well, and like at that time, 
when I was saying earlier, like if I get into something, I really get into it. When I got yeah. into weed, I really got into it. Like I, I was like looking at businesses. I was getting into growing. I was, uh, you know, I was like talking to all these different weed entrepreneurs, probably illegal shit. Most of the most. Like, what, uh, what do you like? Like, what do you do? You still smoke at all? Yeah, I do. Um, significantly less. And the goal is for me to get down to like probably not doing it more than once a month is the is the next goal for me. What do you yeah. use it for? What do I use weed for now? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I've become. I've realized that it's definitely something that changes my state. And if I'm in that changed state too often, then I no longer am in touch with where my current position in life is. So I only do it now for two reasons. Intentionally, I want to like dig deeper into some sort of thought process about where I'm headed, what I'm trying to do. And I feel like I'm in a gridlock of some sort because I know that will help open that up. And the second is if I feel like you know, I'm celebrating something, but that's still a kind of a, a red, fine, thin line. It's like that can go too far into like going to the old habits. Oh, well, let me just smoke starting in the morning. And like, you're like now high every two hours of the day. And like that rolls into the next day, into the next day. And you're like, well, this is a very slippery slope. I can't be doing this. Right. So I use it now more intentionally than ever before in my life. And I think I've also, speaking to the extremes, have gotten gone so far with it, with that, and then like with other psychedelics involved with it. To the point where, like, I feel like I've gotten as everything I've wanted to get out of that experience from a spiritual perspective. Because one thing I didn't mention to you guys is I was never a lazy loser stoner. Yeah, I was having fun with it for a while, but I was doing a lot of deep inner work while in under these altered states that's, of. Life. That's what I like. That's what I like, especially like a sativa strain. For I've had kind of the same experience where when i've smoked sativa at least when i first got into smoking mm -hmm. it was so good for me to get an outside perspective on what like it, it kind of like almost a false outside perspective right but it was like a step away to observe my brain's processes and it's like i don't know i i tend to subscribe to the theory that the mind can achieve any state you want it to if you find your way there right like from neuroscience perspective if I'm smoking weed, I'm creating those neural pathways. So it's more likely even when I'm sober that I'm going to be able to think like that. So to V's point on moderation, like I think there's value in moderation of anything if you're helping your mind get to a different place. But you have to carve the path for yourself that you can get there sober. And then the choice with the substance turns into, do I have the energy to get there actively or do I want to get there passively today? Yep. Yeah, because it's almost like the excuse is like, oh, I just can't feel that way without it. Like, I can't go without it if I don't smoke every day. Like, I don't know how to eat. I don't know how to sleep. I'm like, not myself. It's like you spent more time high into this other altered subversion of yourself. You forgot what it's like to actually live as who you were born to be. And now you've lost touch with what that person's like and you don't, you're not satisfied with it. It's almost like you've, you've fallen so far away from like your journey that it seems impossible to go back. And that's what a lot of young kids that reach out to me and tell me this shit. And I'm like, dude, I get it. I was stuck in that position, but I'm so glad that I was able to get myself moving from there. And why do I talk about meditation? Why do I talk about yoga? Why do I talk about all that stuff is I went through probably the deepest, darkest, you know, I can never do anything just lightly. Right. So when I got into like getting anxious it was like the worst anxiety I've ever had. When I got depressed, like clinically depressed, the testosterone dropped down to like 
in the low 100s, which is insane for like a 26, 25 year old kid. And I was so depressed to the point where the doctors were like, we're a little worried about you. And I think you should get on TRT and we think you should take antidepressants and all that. And I said, fuck all that, because I had just gotten away from that lifestyle from a bodybuilding perspective. I'm like, I'm not going to take that because what I told myself was I don't want to be dependent on anything for the rest of my life that I have to take every single day. Yeah, I love short, that. Short I, care, I yeah. that philosophy pretty entirely, too. I think the mind is powerful enough that usually these states we get stuck in are uh, a result of a mind that that has an obstacle in it. And you do have to solve for that. Yeah, and I, and I think the other thing that happens um, in society is when you seek help um, for mental health issues, there's a, a tremendous amount of over-medication. It's like the lazy thing Mm -hmm. to do okay let's just put them on antidepressants where that should probably be the last resort right it should be after you've gone through the the, a few other steps um to 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 determine that but it seems like a lot of a lot of situations you know they say a kid has adhd suddenly he's on he's on medication and it's 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 the other problem right is making people feel like there's something wrong with them yeah. mm-hmm. um it leads them down a path where it's like okay if i'm not on my meds today something's off with me you know yeah. and for me at that time i was just so determined to find a way out of it but i was also in such a negative mind state every single day not getting barely any sleep right like just being so bothered by my thoughts all the time and that's when i was desperate. I was desperate to find a way out. I was desperate to get myself out of this hole that I dug myself into. So not only did I cut out weed completely, I was also in a very fucked up like place hormonally and mentally that yeah. I was just willing to try anything. So like my mom yeah. tells me like, dude, like watch these like uh, videos of Baba, what is it? Ram Das or not Ram Das, but yeah. uh, what's that guy that's really popular in India? Uh, Ramdev. Sadhguru oh, for sure. But before Sadhguru was really popular, it was Ramdev. He yeah. was always on TV networks, right? So I would watch yeah. his stuff and I would do those like Kapal Bharti and all that stuff. Yeah. And I would I'd be like, this is nonsense. You know, like, why is this going to ever help me? Kind of like that bodybuilder mindset comes in. It's like, that's not it. But at that time, I was so fragile. I couldn't get myself to exercise. I couldn't get myself to even eat, right? And I was just so broken that these little things were actually anchoring me into a foundation again. They were bringing me to grounding again, which, which then like, yeah, I did go and see Sadhguru at in inner engineering, which was actually told to me. Oh, you did that. Story. I did that. How and was that? it was incredible. The story of that goes, my Uber driver from the city one day, who was an Indian guy, 81, 61 year old guy, who's a really good friend of mine. And he ended up just telling me about Sadhguru. He's like, you should look into this. And I'm like, huh? Okay. So, cause I was so open to anything at that point in time. And he told me about it. And there was a program coming up in Mountain View at the time when I was in the Bay area. And I went and attended that and I was just like, you know what? I got nothing to lose. Like I'm fucking broken. I just need to find something. So I was so open to receiving what they were teaching you. And I learned the Kriya that they teach you, the practice. I have, and I did it for, they tell you to do it for like 60 days or 65 days, twice a day. I think I did it for like 119 days, twice a day because I had nothing to lose. And I swear to God, like my life changed so dramatically. Things that I thought were going to take me two years, three years down the line started to happen within weeks and months. The fact that I'm here sitting here in front of you guys right now, living in San Diego at the beach was a dream of mine. And I had no idea how I was going to get myself to this position. And I've been here now for almost what four years almost. And 
at that time in my life, it felt impossible. But meditation, I'm, I'm trying to sell everybody on meditation. That's my whole like life goal. Like if I can be a salesman for anything, it's like fucking go meditate. Flush your shit. Like, you know, do that for yourself because you will find like the word meditation means nothing, but it's just yeah. like you do the practice that you really believe in and you just focus on your breathing and you understand that there's a place where you are actually beyond your breath. You are not the person breathing. You are not the body breathing either. You are simply observing all of that process. Similar to when you're super fucking high and you lose your identity and you're like, wait, who am I really? Like, and how did I get here? And what am I doing here? Like these kind of existential questions, which you can get into if you're super baked or super into like psychedelics and all, they can break a man. They can completely break a man. And what fear I have is a lot of young adults that are doing this shit just nonchalantly not giving a fuck. A lot of them are falling into these questions so early in their age when they don't already have a personality developed. They have no skills and they don't know how to navigate life. And now they've just created an anxious mm -hmm. monster basically that's just like so driven by compulsive behaviors and they're just like they feel like there's no hope for them those are the people i'm after those are the people i want to like hold to the side and be like dude what the fuck are you doing you're 16 why do you think you need to be high all the time to enjoy life there's something clearly here that's not right and they're and most of them will be like yeah that's that's true I, I don't understand but i don't think i can stop and it's like well why don't you think you can stop well you know it's it's the food i can't eat anymore i don't sleep anymore i feel like i have no enjoyment in life it's like yeah but you've You've now spent nobody, more time high than you have without being high. No, so how nobody, do you know? Nobody really asked the question, right? Nobody really asked the question, why am I doing this at this age? It's yeah. just, okay, somebody passed me this and I'm doing it. And for sure. For it. sure. And you don't really identity. It's not, it's not intentionality with the substance. It's just yeah. identity to, to represent some sort of rebellion or whatever you need for yourself. But yeah. Yeah. And I, well, to wrap up the topic of this though, like for me, my whole journey with weed has taught me that it is not a toy. It is not a plaything. It is not something to passively think that it's harmless. It's very powerful. And the market is making it more and more potent as we grow the substance and make it more and more palatable for the high tolerance of audience that we're serving it to that people are, and then people, a lot of people give me shit on, on TikTok and stuff about my comments. Like, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about, blah, 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 whatever. Like, weed is such a fucking like light thing you can't handle it whatever it's like dude if you've done some of the like dosages that i've done if you've done some of the shit bro it is not short of a psychedelic trip it is not and it can take you to a place this is the part that i really want you guys to walk away from is it can bring you all the positive stuff there's two loops in your head a positive tape loop and a negative tape loop it can also take you and spiral you into a negative tape loop which feels like it's a never-ending life process where you are literally falling to your death you're almost like standing at the edge of the cliff and you have no fucking control and that's the thing but you once you see that you can never unsee it and you realize that you're always that vulnerable in life that you can ever any time in, in any moment in your life be hit with a situation that takes you out of your perspective as like this leveled individual and just fucking knocks you sideways and now you're just a spiral of anxiety and worry and depression and you can't sleep and you can't eat and you can't figure out what the fuck to do with yourself and that happens to more people than it, 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 it should at a very early age and i think we're in a fucking crisis mentally and i love weed but i feel like it's been so just marketed the wrong way and and it just sucks to see like young 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 fucking kids just struggle with it and like that's what my discord community is about that's why it's been growing 
weirdly, like it's, you know, it was two people and then like five people. And now we're at almost 800 people that have just come off of TikTok because they're like, dude, I have nobody else to talk to about this shit. Kids fucking can't tell their parents about this stuff. They can't talk to a friend about this because all their friends are just fucking stoner losers too. And they don't know where to go. They have nowhere to turn. There is literally nothing out there. And, and we're never told or never told, like, I don't, you know, that what is, what is the propaganda around weed and why people think it's okay is because it's quote unquote, not, not addictive. It's not an addictive substance. And I think that that's probably one of your more controversial takes is actually coming out and saying it is an addiction and it can be an addiction for some people. I've been changing the word addiction to dependent. Yeah. That's good. Is it because, that that's controversial by the way? Huh? It's, it's like, you, it's hilarious. You know, like in today's society, it's actually controversial to be like, you know, weed's like also still a drug, right? Like, oh, know. dude, I get shit on every fucking day of the week, son. Like every day of the week, people call me the dumbest thing. I'm working through this self awareness myself. I'm like, I hate it. Like, I want to defend myself every time someone says some stupid shit, but you're like, bro, this is comments, bro. Get the fuck out. Don't worry about this stuff. Yeah, like, yeah. Live, live your life, bro. Like, what is this? But reality is, a lot of people think I'm just saying some stupid things. And, but there's, also, so many people that are just coming out of the woodworks are like, bro, my, my DMs are full of it, like anonymous profiles that have nothing else to say, but they'll just be like, bro. Yeah, exactly. I think what, ma what makes your message resonate is that you are not some like, you know, somebody who's like saying I'm sober all the time, like you smoke, you know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. it's not like you're coming from a, a person who's just talking down on people who smoke weed. You're somebody who's going and still going through the experience of figuring out what your relationship with it is. Yeah. And part of that me feels like I'm like a little somewhat of a, a hypocrite in a sense, but at the same time, that's just the reality of my experience with it. It's, I don't know if I'm completely done with it, but I'm definitely doing significantly better with it than I have ever before. Well, you have control over it now. That's the most important thing is whatever it is that you choose. I don't, I'm, I'm kind of a, a no judgment person overall. Um, so long as, you know, you're doing things um, for real internal reasons and, and, and you're doing it not for dependence or yeah. live your life the way that you choose to you choose to live it. But don't put yourself in a position where you're harming or or, or taking for granted that life that that is a blessing. I've yeah. been lately thinking about this. What if we told everybody that smokes weed and gets high to just do productive shit with it? Like, bro, like journal when you're high, like look at your thoughts. What kind of thoughts do you have? What are your dreams? What yeah. do you see when you're high? Let's go into that. You're not getting those thoughts and ideas just for the shit of it, right? Like there's clearly parts of you consciously and unconsciously that's bubbling up and bringing all these things to your awareness. Why don't we look into that? Why don't you try meditation if you've never tried it while high one day and just mm -hmm. see what it feels like? I like this one, is, of your, one of your videos you talked about intention. Yes, when, the most important thing. Yeah, it's like, you're right. It is. It is like a psychedelic, and like most other psychedelics, if you're going to get into it, they have like a shaman or some sort of facilitator to carry the experience. They put it in an amazing set and setting. Yes, yeah, set and setting exactly. And with weed, it, for some reason, even though it's part of that category, that's the one that we're like, oh, that's fine. I can. I can do that. You know? oh, shit. oh my gosh! Everything okay over there, V? Yeah, knock something down. <laughs> but at the end of the day, like. We treat weed so different from all the other substances it's like. And yeah. I, to your point, Abhinav, I think 
it, it's an extremely useful tool if you use it the right way. Like I, I remember, you know, when I started um, smoking before working out, it was never something I ever did. And then I did it for about six months and I did it after, uh, yeah, about six months. And I had stopped re- like about three months ago, but I did it for a while because I wanted to get a better mind muscle connection. And I was able to come in with that intention. Like, I'm smoking. I'm going to work out. I want to feel every muscle in my back contract as mm-hmm. I'm doing this workout or as I'm boxing or whatever. And that process helped and had lasting effects. For my physiology and Can I ask things. if that actually made significant changes in your physique though while you were doing that? Um, no, but I guess like my goal when I work out's never really like size or physique oriented. Like I'm more of like a I yeah. my transition more like uh oriented around my energy flow, if you mm-hmm. will. The reason I saw said that is because I definitely when I was smoking weed all the time, I was like Yo, let me uh, like get back to working out. But I just could not stay focused. Mm. I would be just doing like a set of this, and then I'm like, I forgot what the fuck my routine was. What was this? What was this like circuit that I was just doing? And you just get so distracted. So I really question because a lot of young kids tell me this shit, same thing. They're like, and I'm not discounting your experience yeah, by any means, but I'm just purely drilling into this because I've been curious. It's like I'm pretty damn good at working out, and I think I know what I'm doing. But for me, weed is like a, a monkey wrench in the machine. It's like it doesn't help me with the with the focus. The mind to muscle thing, I totally agree. You can feel your body more, which is why going back to if you're high, maybe try stretching. Maybe yeah. try doing a few yeah. yoga poses. Maybe try like Absolutely. sitting under a tree, bro, and like looking up at the sky and just like realizing how vast and incredible it is, the world that we live in. And it's not just full of shit and terrible things. And maybe that will drive you to do more with your existence and not just waste it away. And maybe you're not ready for the big, you know, stuff, but start somewhere. But don't like, maybe like if you get high every day, maybe like two out of your three highs could be used to benefit you maybe, right? And yeah. like, yeah. And it, and it, and it, I think it all goes back to the origination, right? Like how people get into product and whether or not they have intentionality, yeah, or not. Because I think that what happens because of that insecurity sometimes that's that's driving a lot of this behavior. You get this sense, and you you guys know this with your friends, yourselves. It's like this idea of like I have to be high. It's not going to mm. be the same if I'm not high. I have to be high to do this. I need to be high to be around people. I need to I've be been high there. <laughs> to go out. I need, you know, that dependency is kind of the biggest, biggest challenge for people who, um, who, who go down this lifestyle path have is like, how do you control it from, you think it's a lack of passion. Mm-hmm. You think there's a lack of passion that, that, that triggers. Cause it's just like, you just don't like right now I'm fucking fired up. I don't know why, yeah. but I'm so amped up with your guys' energy right now. Like I could go and do another workout right now or go do whatever the hell else I want right now. I don't need anything. I don't need no energy drink, no weed, nothing right now. But yeah. I feel like I've I've been a passionate individual my whole life. I just found sort of a like a sideways process with the weed thing, which, you know, took me in certain directions which were beneficial and also showed me the negative side of it. But I feel like there's a huge lack of passion today, which if you truly were passionate about anything. It could be like Yu-Gi-Oh cards. It could be Pokemon. It could be fucking video games. It could be anything, literally. Like if you were passionate about it, I feel like you would find the fuel to drive you towards that thing, right? Yeah, like yeah. generations also deeper in the matrix, born deeper in the matrix than we ever were. You know, with tell me more. I mean, 
like we had the benefit of not having the internet and not having cell phones in our childhood. So we we yeah. raised to live in an actual world and like this new society cares more about the virtual world than the real world and when you're so focused on these tangible physical things you lose sense of even this spirit concept that you know I think I think is more important I think it's something people get into as they age but it's more important in life to take care of your spirit and your soul than it is to to really do much else and yourself right like we're talking about weed and lifting and all of that even like act like working out like one of the things that you know with my company lasso like we call ourselves a movement company but it's movement it's not about it's not a it's we say performance not about socks the market yeah it's not about socks but it's also not really about performance it's yeah. about movement connect with your body and your body calls it calls to you it speaks to you it tells you what it needs like if i'm if i'm sitting here right now like every morning when i wake up for example i don't have a stretch routine i listen to my body and i stretch what it asks me to stretch mm. and that's developed from a sense of awareness of trying many different things over a long period of time and understanding that like a lot of the answers are within us that we're looking for in this world right and, and like your greatest guidance will come in the right. moment that you need it within and when you have all of these shining lights and everyone's concerned about how can i make money on my nft and like how can i do this and that it's just like you miss out on really like what you're here for which is not that stuff that's like your duty but that's not your purpose to bring value to the audience that's going to listen to this let's 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 do this real quickly because i totally agree with you that the, the current generation and people in general right now are so immersed on the internet but mm -hmm. i think the internet is a beautiful tool which i've used to learn a lot the reason i am spiritually more complete these days is because of the people that i found on the internet the reason i got into bodybuilding and did that was because of the models role models that i looked up to on the internet and they became a very good avenue for me i feel like too many people just don't find people to model after someone that they look up to. And there's so many out there. There's like one for every kind of human there is. It's so also what you said with weed, Abhinav. It's like there's one side of the internet that's positive, 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 positive. You get better, 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 better. And there's one that takes you down. Oh, totally. Cool. It's the same thing. Conspiracy, nonsense, shit that has nothing to do with your yeah, life. I think, I think both experiences are unique. It's like every tool is what you use it for, right? And I think part of your experience that makes it unique in terms of even how you use it is your engineering background is coming coming here from india it's like your mind is wired to seek knowledge um in a unique way in your life whereas for most people their introduction if this generation specifically younger than 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 either one of you is the fact that it's being introduced as a social mainly as a social tool right like mm -hmm. People aren't on Google. That's not where they're at. They're on Instagram. They're True. on Twitter. They're on TikTok. That's where they're going to for information. And what makes this kind of dangerous is when you don't have a basis, right, of truth versus, versus you know, non-truth, it becomes really, really hard to filter stuff. And you see a lot of people following information. People wonder all the time, like, how do people fall into these cults or these belief systems that are completely well let's help people out like let's come up with a quick list of people that you feel like have influenced you, you the most whether it's in business spiritually physically mentally in just general well-being like let's let's make a quick list we can talk about it for two minutes i'll share some of mine you guys share some of yours because i okay. really think that that is going to be 
what would be the most valuable piece. It's like you walk away from us, fucking go listen to some good stuff, put that every day yeah. in your head until it clicks for you. Yeah, you know? yeah that's a good button too. Let's get yeah. it. Um, Abhinav, you want to start? Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely name like several. So for me, one of the guys that really broke through a lot of sort of what is our internal process and how we suffer um, through existence was a guy named Dr. Jordan Peterson. And the reason I like him is I love he's him. very complex in the way he explains things, but he also does it very precisely. So to learn him and to read him and understand him, I actually had to grow as an individual because I wasn't, I, my, my comprehension level wasn't at his speaking level and his lectures level. Like I was really hard for me to understand the stuff he was saying. I had to rewatch a lot of it. So I, I think he's definitely one of the ones pushing the boundaries. Sam Harris is also another great one. He has this app called Waking Up, which I highly recommend everybody download. You can start meditating or just listening to content on that thing. Starting for free, you can apply for a scholarship if you can't pay for it. Spiritual side, Muji was is wasn't is always going to be my first teacher. His name is spelled M O O J I. He was the one who actually introduced me to who my true self is. And then Sadhguru is the one who taught me how to have a spiritual practice. And so those are two people I would really recommend. And one person who I admire a lot and part of what I'm doing with my life as a spiritual philosophical entertainer, so to speak, is Alan Watts, who I really, really admire. And I would recommend him significantly to people who are really starting to tap into something. I didn't name him first because he's also one of those people that's very complicated to understand it at first. And what he's talking about is very deep and very broad. And you have to have somewhat of a baseline to then go deeper into that. And from a physical health perspective, look, I'm a bodybuilder by, you know, from, from previous life, I suppose, or previous several years ago. So for me, I like um, bodybuilders who give the most value out. Kai Green, Jay Cutler. These are people that you can watch their old content Lee Priest, you can watch these people's content and really get an, a real sense of like what truly works and what doesn't work. From from the perspective of motivation, Tony Robbins, incredible. Fucking Eckhart Tolle is another one I wanted to throw out for the spiritual yeah, side. Um, and, you know, uh, Eric Thomas was someone that I actually listened to at a younger age when I was in college before he became much, much bigger than he, that he is today. Gary Vee is incredible. I think He's definitely like someone I, I want to model parts of my life after. Um, and last last a couple people that come to mind, top of mind are just like, I don't know, stupid shit, but it's like superheroes. Like I'm a big James Bond fan. Hmm. I'm a huge James Bond fan. When I see that guy cut through like the craziest situations in the movies and, and it's just a story, it's just like, that's inspiring to me. You know, the new Bond movie, I fucking cried. You know what I mean? Yeah, the latest one. Like I cried. Out already? Uh, no time yeah, to die. Yeah, it's out. Yeah, it's out. Oh, man. It's out. Yeah. And, and so, like, uh, and, and I'm only saying that, like, Game of Thrones, like, the characters in this story arc in Game of Thrones, it's so amazing to, like, realize that you want to be someone that actually does the right thing, like the Jon Snow character, right? You want to push through all the bullshit to do the right thing because that is the right thing to do, no, no matter what the cost. Like, there's so much out there for you to absorb and build a, you know, a, a foundation from that, that those are people that I think have significantly helped me in my life. And I probably took out some of your guys's thunders there, but like, please add if there's anything extra there. Yeah. Go ahead, Partha. I don't know if there's anything much I would add to that list, but I'll go to the uh, street philosopher's side. 
uh, Jay Electronica. We got to give him some credit. Say it like again. Jay Electronica. Jay Electronica. Okay. So he is just an incredibly wise human being with interesting perspective. He dated a Rothschild for a period of time. And so mm. he saw, and he was homeless prior to that. And like, I don't know his full story. V, you can probably fill in the blanks there, but his perspective is very wide ranging in terms of what he's been exposed to. And so his worldviews and the way he raps are really brilliant. And they speak on some really big picture things about how the world works. Um, and I got to always mention J. Cole, who's had the recipe for for forever and just spills it every album. J. Cole and Russ, this new guy that's been really popping up yeah, to me. Russ, I like him. Russ he speaks to the young kids. Book as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his book is really good. And and that's the the frame that I'll add to that is um is beyond Wait, the sorry, beyond the, it's it's four twenty on eleven eleven. Hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> she's lighting up right now. Then shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, we man. just need to we need um you know to add to that. I like to I'm someone that grew up without the internet, right? So without digital, without these short quick clips that give you your motivation. I think those are valuable. I like the extended podcast, but I like to look at characters in history that made significant impact, right? Um and you know, one I think that's helpful for anyone and and also gave me different elements, right? For me, you know, Muhammad Ali is a big one because oh, wow. this is a guy who actually was willing to pay the price of having what he loved taken away for him for his principles. And I don't think there's really too many, there are too many people in human history that you can, you can say have done that and actually went through the process of paying the price. So reading about him, understanding his history and understanding his mindset, why he carried himself the way he did, it was confidence with humility right he was a a pretty humble guy but he always exuded that confidence and instilled that confidence in other people that's one you know i think that every young person in terms of what we've talked about overall here about having some sort of spiritual center and some guidance as to like the purpose of life the alchemist read that book oh that's a great you know i have gifted that book to so many people in my lifetime because i do think that 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 is the first thing that made me realize that this is a this whole life is about a path to self-discovery. It's not about having all the answers. It's about being trusting the journey and the path and appreciating each element or each phase of your life in a unique that it's there for a reason, right? Um, and that that's a big one. And then I think, you know, the 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 final thing that I will say is um actually spending time and looking back at your own life and your own experiences because you can learn more from yourself than you can from any of these people that are Mm -hmm. giving you knowledge actually learn and spend the time with yourself because that is the greatest way to unlock your potential think about things ask yourself questions the more questions you said this earlier the, the people that i like the most are the people who are the most genuinely curious and if you're genuinely curious about life you will find yourself to the promised land. And and life will open itself up to you. Yep. Right? Like if you genuinely are interested and you ask, like there's every day my prayer is, please work through me. Like I'm going to provide you the best specimen that I can yep. in this body with this spirit 
and I asked the universe to work through me to serve others, to just, that's, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And, you know, since you brought up a book, one book that came to my mind when I was very depressed and I hardly read was the motivation manifesto by Brennan Bouchard. Yeah. I fucking underlined and highlighted every goddamn page of that book because it really became like a Bible to me at the time. And I also want to say, listen to the pilot boys podcast, listen to the real Abinov podcast. There's a lot of value here, right? Yeah. And find more people like us, like find people who you fuck with. It may not be us. It'll be someone, but just don't give up the try until you've really exhausted yourself with it. Like there's just no reason to, there's just no reason to just call it quits too early to just decide that this is as good as it's going to get. There's just no reason for it. You know what I mean? If you're under 25, 35, like, fuck, like, please don't give up. And like, I'm not going to give up on, on you guys. And I don't think you should give up on yourself either. And, and that's really where it comes down for me. It's like what I'm building now mm -hmm. is that is I want to create the biggest fucking community out there for people who feel like they have nowhere else to turn and for them to come and get that, you know, support, get what they need. That's the discord community that I've started on that right. note, Abhinav, can you um, let everyone know where to find you on social and how to join that community? Yes. The simplest thing you can do is to go to therealabhinav.com or realabhinav.com. It has links to my Discord. It has links to the podcast, links to all my social. If you want yeah. one link, that's it. Okay. Now, everywhere on social, you can, if you look up The Real Abhinav, whether it's on Spotify, Apple, mm -hmm. YouTube, you will find me. Okay. But website is a place to start for sure. And the Discord link is there. It's a long one of those weird links. So if you go to the website, you click on Discord, it will link you to the group. But, and, and come and talk, right? Like come and be a part of it. Like share, be vulnerable. The funny thing about Discord lately is it's not like social media. It's not like the comments section where people can just bash and say shit and go away. Like for, funny enough, for almost 800 people, we hardly have people that are ever saying anything bad or negative to each other, which blows my mind because that's just not the reality when I'm on social media. When yeah. I videos out there there's just a shitload of people just saying dumb things to each other <laughs> and to me but for whatever reason when you get them into this discord it's maybe it's a mindset shift maybe they feel a little differently and it's just nothing but positivity and it's just it's really really blown my mind and the way it's been progressing it's very natural like i'm not doing anything crazy to hype it up or anything like that so i feel like it has an energy of its own That's and awesome. my goal if i were to be uh, you know ambitious here is like it's really to to take stage to take more and more um steps towards building this like today you guys i was telling you earlier like i have a videographer here i flew out from new jersey you know we've been trying to film all day i'm trying to understand like what it takes to be like a real content creator that's really trying to put more and more value out there how can i story tell about this this conversation that we've had but in more relatable manner so more people yeah. can find out like i don't think i'm the world's best at anything but at the same time i do think i'm fucking really good at a lot of things and that's just like if I can help one person, two people just pull a little bit, little bit out of like that hole that they're in and just let them on their way. Like, you know, you guys believe in karma. I, I feel like I'm, I'm out here greedily trying to get karma points. You know, I want me and my loved ones forever to be taken care of because I never relentlessly gave up on others. And if I can put more into the world and give myself, give my time selflessly to more and more people, I know for a fact that the universe and God and everything is going to completely take care of me and mine forever. There's no doubt in my mind that that's how it works in the world. And that's been my experience. Love yeah, that's a, that's a fantastic point. And a, a great way to put a button on, on this conversation is I think in our society and culturally, we're taught to take as much out of life as you can. And mm. I think the people who wake up realize it's about giving 
as much to life as you can. Um, and I think that's that's what you're working toward. And, and through your experiences and through this conversation, I've figured out that's kind of where you're at, right? Yeah. Which is that transition point where it was all self, self. I need to be the biggest guy. I need to figure out what I need to do. I need to make my parents proud. I need to. But now you're thinking about how do I give, you yeah. know, and how do I how do I help other people? And I think that that shift is a shift that everyone comes to. Some people never get to it, right? You've got the Donald Trumps of the world who will never get it, right? By the way, not to like fuck this whole conversation up by saying like Donald Trump, I like him and all, but I grew up earlier in this country when like he was actually a cultural icon. He was a hero. He was was celebrated, you guys. Like, and I'm not saying what he's doing is right and the way he acts is proper. All I'm it's saying is it's what's glorified and what this culture yeah, like, is. And, like there are still things from Donald Trump that you can take that are yeah, good. Of course. He's yeah. not a fucking horrible human being and nobody really is. I mean, yes, there are a few like you can call out in history that have just done massively horrible things, but it's just like, I don't know why I wanted to say this. I really wanted to say it, which was, I feel like you can learn even something from the most hated person in culture. Like there's something you can learn from everyone. And if you're of the mindset that like, I'm not going to be the one that just follows what everybody else is telling me. And I'm actually going to make my own independent opinion about this. You'll be way better off than, than all of those that are just kind of following what it's popular today and who's getting canceled and who's this way or that way. Like make your own fucking call. Has that like, why the fuck does it matter who the president of the country is to me at the end of the day, he's not coming to my house and changing the way I eat, sleep and shit, bro. Like, at the end of the day, it's not going to bother me that much. So I'm going to go up in arms and just like spend 12 hours of my day arguing with people on the internet about who's a better president when it doesn't do any added value to my life. Go fucking vote if that's your problem. You know what I mean? Like do something with your action. Like don't, I'm not a political guy. I'm not trying to go into that realm, but I'm just saying there's just so much of that content out. Like you were saying, it's the worm, like the world whirlpool. What's that called? Like wormhole of content that just has zero meaning additive meaning to anybody's life and it's just pure attention sucking and it's it's so easy to get in that trap so if you are listening and you are in that trap listen to those other people that we mentioned you know like go and find their podcast their youtubes listen to them immerse yourself in that learning like your learning did not stop when you finish school you you just learned like the surface level stuff and now it's for you to do the deep work to figure out who you are what is you want out of life and what do you want to give to the world i think that's that's where i hope everyone gets to and i know i know by the time i'm i'm dead and everything i won't get to everybody but my my hope is that with the work i do and the stuff that i leave behind that it will it will be someone like an alan watts where it lives on way beyond me it will be like a jordan peterson that lives on way beyond me and i really do believe that in my heart that that's my intention i don't know how i'm going to get there and exactly what steps i have to take to get there i just believe that that's going to happen and i'm every single day putting myself in that mode the best i can and not every day is a success but that's okay like that's that's what i believe and that's what i want to pursue love it thank you abinav for coming on again that's the real abinav.com um what an awesome week pilot boys listeners we are going to continue filling the uh filling the coffers here dude this is the coolest podcast i've been on to be honest i'm not saying that just to say that um i think you guys are run a great show you're a great like duo of hosts you guys definitely like are very attentive i i think you pay attention and you're very good at like calling out the things that i'm saying but maybe not articulating in the best way and and bringing them to the point so i think you guys 
have a really, really good podcast, probably one of the best I've seen. So just keep at this shit. This is going to be huge. Um, and just don't stop. <laughs> That's it. Much love, bro. Thank you so much. Yeah. I'd love to meet you in person, brother, when, when possible. And, uh, definitely, definitely. And, and this, this won't be the, the, the last time. I think this is a good conversation. We could have kept going, but, um, let's, let's let our, our listeners, uh, look forward love to it. the next one. <laughs> Got it. Get on up.